joy, joy, light in my soul. The joy, 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 making me whole. Though I'm broken, I am running into your arms of love, into your arms. I don't know about you, but I just, I feel like saying, yo, Grover. I mean, what? It's like Sesame Street up here. What's going on? This is crazy, except it's not Sesame Street. It's something so much better. It's Gloomville. Gloomville, formerly known as Joyville. We're going to have a fun time this week at camp. Before we get there, though, it is really, really good to have you here today. And I know some of you are you're longing for an update on uh, how Griffey sitting went. This has been an adventure for us. Kim and I have never owned a dog or a cat I'm trying to think if we owned anything four-legged. I guess we've had some rodents along the way. Outside, well, we had turtles, but, but we've not done these animals. So the, the, probably the funnest part is that Griffey is, I know you're going to fight me on this, he's the funnest dog in America. I mean, so if you can imagine Brian with black fur, that's Griffey. I mean, it's crazy to be with a dog that I'm like, I've known you for at least 30 years. This is nuts. Everything about that dog is just like his owner. I mean, you tell him it's time to relax, he's hyper. You want to have fun, he's relaxed. Everything, I'm just like, it's so, it's, it's nuts. It's the best. But having said that, a lot of people will ask, so will you now get a dog? No. <laughs> you people, you people, I'm telling you what, it's like a full-time job. It's like going back to having a preschooler all over again. I mean, you got to pay attention to where they are and what they're doing and are they licking the outlet or chewing a cord or, you know, because when somebody gives you their pet to watch, the goal is return live. You just want to make sure live and all the parts are intact. That's very important, right? So anyway, it's been a blast of a week, but they are, they're a couple hours away from here and they're going to go pick them up and we're back to a, a quieter house with, with a lot of fun. So we are about to enter into a phenomenal week. And what you see here right now, I mean, the amount of work that's gone into this uh, set has been tremendous. And, and if I can say it this way, I think you'll understand, this is only a small part of all that's gone on to prepare for this week. So many hearts have invested in the lives of our kids and are ready for a tremendous week together. And part of what I love about what's happening with this we have, we have plans and ways that we'd like to see things come together. This set and this story was supposed to be delivered last June. Last June was the time that we were going to talk about joy and what it means to be a joyful person and how you can have joy despite your circumstances. And of course, you, real, you remember last year, it felt like we got robbed of our joy as we were told, sorry, you can't meet publicly, sorry, you can't have kids gathered, sorry, you can't do that. So, it's given us a year to really have this theme baking into our minds, into our hearts, so we have the, the gloomville of 2020 behind us, and now we come into this, and I think, I think our kids and our leaders have a totally different appreciation for what joy is really all about. One of the things that, you know, I don't know what happened like this past week, it's like God had forgotten where the rain switch was. 
You know, all the grass was getting nice and crispy around here. You'd walk and you'd hear it cracking under your feet. And then God said, oh yeah, rain switch, boom. And suddenly we're getting like four inches at a time. And I know for a lot of you, your number one prayer right now is, God, please don't let it rain the week of quest. God, please let it be dry the week of quest. God, please let, it, please let everything go smoothly the week of quest. If we really believe what we're teaching, it's probably going to pour. If we really believe what we're teaching, there's probably going to be a lot of disasters because we can have joy despite our circumstances. We can have joy in the middle of the worst of circumstances. And so as leaders of this thing this week, we got to adjust our brain that, you know, if it's pouring down buckets, we're the ones walking like ducks and singing and having fun and saying, no matter what, we can have joy in Jesus. So that, that's just going to be... A... Oh, I have new powers. This is fantastic. I love that. Is it going to keep doing it? No, bummer. Okay, well, anyway. So um, be praying a lot this week. Be praying a lot this week. Not that our agenda would be accomplished, but that God's agenda would be accomplished in hearts and lives, not just of children, but of the people who are leading because God has great work that he wants to do. Next week, it's not going to rain because we're having an outdoor service. So we're going to be outdoor next week, 4th of July, 1030. But believe it or not, I mean, this is killing me. It's the 4th of July next week. COVID did something to my calendar. Did it do it to yours as well? I, I, I'm still thinking it's like late February, early March. I don't know why. I'm, I'm having the hardest time adjusting to the fact that we are about to end June and July is here. So 4th of July, we're going to be out on the lawn once again for a service. One service. So there is no 9 o'clock. It's 10.30 only. We're gathered out there. And that'll be followed by a picnic. Again, we'll have hot dogs for you and, and uh, utensils and drinks. And we just ask you to bring some food to share have a chance to do some wandering around the property. I think next week will be particularly fun because the kids will have spent a week here. They're going to want to show you all the things they discovered around here. So uh, we look forward to being together for that. And then, of course, we just want to continue to thank you for the generosity that you've been offering in giving, uh, giving financially. I mean, you've been phenomenal in terms of giving, giving uh, through the box or online or through the mail. You've done a great job with that. But, but I'll tell you, just the over and above whether it was scholarships for Green Lake or bringing watermelons or the food that you brought today for our workers to be able to enjoy the week. One of the things that um, we think is really important, you know, a lot of, a lot of our workers arrive and, and they're bringing their kids with them and they've already had to figure out the schedule for the dog and everything else. They show up and for a lot of people, the last thing they think of is, I should probably eat something before I go hang out with kids for six hours today in the heat and sun and all that sort of stuff. And so it's great to be able to gather together in the morning and have those breakfast snacks and things that they can nibble on throughout the day. So thanks for bringing those. And if you still have more to bring, you can drop them off uh, anytime during the week and, and those will be really appreciated. So we're going to uh, do something that I think is really important right now and that is just take a moment to be quiet. Take a moment to be quiet in the presence of Jesus. There has been, with all of this going on, a lot of activity going on, and we realize this isn't the only activity going on in our lives. There's, you know, it's like we went from a week, a year of everything slowing down to all of a sudden gas pedals been hit, and I've, I've had more people say June has been the craziest month of their life. And so 
I think it's important to just spend a little bit of time being quiet in the presence of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to take communion together. Uh, we had you get the cup at the door today, the prepared communion. Uh, we, I, this is going to sound really indelicate, but something about walking up and receiving communion between the porta potty and the dumpster just <laughs> did not feel right. And so we thought it was much better to give you your prepared communion today as, as you came into the room. So we're going to have a song playing, and would you use it as a moment to be quiet in the presence of your Lord? It was at the, late in the 90s, probably early 2000s, that a couple of books came out that had a transformative effect on the American church. One of them was named um, Experiencing God by a man named Henry Blackaby, and then the other was Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And both of them uh, put forth concepts that while we listen to those concepts now, 20-some years later, um, they're kind of natural to us. I think back then when they were first said, some of those things were a little bit, they, they kind of, they broke some paradigms. Some of the ways we thought, some of the things that we did, they helped us to see life a little bit differently. If you were to take the time to, to read Henry Blackaby's book and, and, and go through it, process it with a group, one of the things that, that he encouraged you to think through that I thought was just incredibly profound, I needed to hear it. He said, um, every one of us should pray something like this. God, don't just bless what I'm doing. Help me to do what you're blessing. I'm not looking for you to bless what I'm doing. Help me do what you're blessing. For a lot of us, what that says is this spiritual truth that that we walk through life with our agenda. We determine what we want to do, even for God. We determine what we want to do, and then we pray for a sprinkling of grace. God, I pray that you will give me success in the thing I intend to accomplish for you. And instead, I love it because he said, rather than deciding what we're going to do, churches and individuals deciding what we're going to do, and asking for God's blessing, instead, why don't we ask God, what is it you're choosing to bless so that we can partner with you in what you're already doing? And what I love about that wording is it says that God is the agenda setter. God is the one that created the world. God is the one that, that put forth the plan and we're supposed to be walking in his plan. Ephesians chapter 2.10 says we are God's work of art. We're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance or beforehand for us to do. So even before you were born, God had a reason and purpose for you to be on this earth. And he's not saying, now you decide what you want to do and ask for a little grace sprinkling on it. But instead he's saying, Figure out what it is that I'm wanting you to do. I've got some great things for you to do in this world. And Rick Warren kind of amped up on that a little bit with a beautiful prayer that said something like this, you know, God, you're going to do some amazing things in this world today. Would you help me to discover a couple of them so that I could join you in your work? I love that perspective. Again, rather than God the lucky rabbit's foot, that we're bringing along in whatever we've decided to do, we're instead saying, God's already at work, and we're his hands, and we're his feet in the world, and we want to join him in whatever he is choosing to do. That is really a flip on understanding what the will of God is all about, an important flip. So we've been talking about discernment, and really two parts of discernment. 
One is discerning the moral will of God. What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad? How do we know what we're supposed to be doing and what we're not supposed to be doing? But then we turn last week to look at the vocational will of God. By vocation, we're not just talking about a career, but our roles and our decisions. What are the roles and decisions God wants us to be taking on as we walk through this life? And so we are, we're walking through life, we wake up every day, and if we've got this renewed perspective, we wake up every today and we say, God, you got some things you want to accomplish in your world today, and I'm ready to join you in whatever it is you desire to do. So we spent some time defining last week this idea of the vocational will of God. And today I want to talk about four things that help us to determine the next step that God wants us to take. Four things that help us to make those, the big decisions as well as the more common decisions of life. How do we do things in such a way that we are walking in the will of God every day of our lives? So as we look at these four things, uh, they are faith, facts, feelings, and friends. All four, faith, facts, feelings, and friends, play a role in helping us to make decisions in our lives. This will all be a little more practical for you if you would get in your mind a decision that you have to make. It may be a fairly immediate decision, something that you're doing in the next week. It may be something that's, you know, 10 years down the road. You're getting at that point of life that you're like, yeah, there could, be, there could be retirement in my future. What's the next step? Where am I going to live? What's that going to look like? It may be, it may be a vocational decision, maybe a switch. It may be an educational decision. What's a decision that's, that's kind of hanging out there for you? If you would get that in your mind, it will help this to be so much more practical as you work through it. Because as we look at these things today, the part I, I'm a little frustrated with it is it would work so much better as a conversation. This would work so much better if we were one-on-one -on -one or just a couple of us talking this out because there are things that we're going to talk about that I know questions are going to come to your mind, both in terms of what we're talking about, but, but also in terms of what you're going through and how that works into this. So we can't have that kind of conversation today. It's a, it's a little bigger, but I, but I think that this will, help. this will help make it a little more practical if you'll get an issue in your mind. So, so let's look at these four factors and start with faith. In a sense, we've already started with faith, with the introduction. Because when it comes to decision-making and understanding that, that vocational next step, what is the role you want me to play? What's the decision you want me to make? We need to understand that it's really, this is not about us making our decision. This is not about us making our choice. This is about understanding that the God of the universe has an agenda. The God of the universe has a plan. And he wants us to join into what he's doing. And that's what a walk of faith looks like. When I'm walking in friendship with God and asking him, okay, what do you desire? What, what's your plan? Because I want to do everything I can to fulfill all of your holy will, God, not just mine. The passage we gave you this week to read and to listen to is found in James chapter 4, starting with verse 13. It says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist, a vapor. You appear for a little while and then you vanish. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. 
So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let me start with verse 17, because that a little bit, a little bit uh, off the topic, but not. We talk in, in theology of two kinds of sins, sins of commission and sins of omission. A sin of commission is a choice to do something that's deliberately wrong. I'm going to murder you. That's a sin of commission. I've committed the act of murder. I've done something that is wrong. James here in verse 17 talks about a different kind of sin, the sin of omission. Commission is when I do the wrong thing. Omission is when I fail to do the right thing. Omission is when God has given me a direct command to do something, and I say, I'm just not going to do it. I, I'm not, not going to walk in that. Both are sins. It, not just Both active sin and passive sin are bad news, and James lays that out for us. But in verses 13 to 16, he talks about this understanding of the will of God that is not a walk of faith for this person. This person wakes up believing, I have a plan, I have an agenda, I have things I want to do, and I'm going to accomplish all my holy will. And if we're walking in faith, what we realize is God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has an agenda. And if I'm walking in faith, I'm walking to accomplish all of his holy will. We are his hands, we are his feet in the world, and so we're joining him in his activity. Beautiful common verse in Proverbs chapter 3 that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your way straight. You look at that verse, and some people have, some people have misinterpreted this verse to believe that in the process of decision-making, the more confusing it is, it must be of God. The more, the more crazy it is, it must be of God. Because I'm not supposed to lean on my own understanding. So if it's really nutty, that must be what God wants me to do. And that, that's not what this passage is saying. If, if we're talking about the will of God, one of the questions you might have is, can I always know the will of God? Can I always know, going into it, that this is the thing God wants me to do? And I would say the answer to that is no, you can't always know. You can't always know. And part of the reason you can't always know is because God doesn't exist simply to tell us what we're supposed to do. He, he has us existing so that he can grow something in us. And one of the things God is trying to grow in us from the beginning of our life is trust. The ability to trust in him, to rely on him, to believe in him. And so there are going to be times that we believe we're supposed to take a next step. And God's not going to say, yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't. He's going to say, take it, and let's see how this goes. And then take another, and let's see how this goes. Because we're learning, we're truly learning how to walk in a trusting relationship with God. See, for most of us, our prayer is, God, give me clarity. And God giggles when we pray that. He really does, because his greatest goal is not that you know. His great, I, I literally used to pray this as a, as, a young, as, a, as a young adult. God, I will do anything for you in the world if you'll tell me how it's going to turn out. Anything. Show me, show me how it's going to work, and I'll do anything. And God's like, it don't work that way. I'm not, I'm not trying to have you live in clarity. I'm trying to help you to learn how to walk in the darkness, knowing that I'm there besides you that I'm there beside you all the way and growing trust in you. And so what it really comes down to is we're acknowledging him in all of our ways. We're saying, God, there's some things you're doing in this world. I want to join you in those things. I'm there with you. I'm pursuing your agenda. That's a walk of faith. 
Perhaps some of the hardest prayers of all to pray are the ones that Jesus either taught us to pray or prayed himself. Mark 14, he's in the garden. Father, if it is possible, let this cup, let this suffering, let this death pass from me, yet not my will but yours be done. When it comes to the will of God, can we pray the prayer of release that says, God, whatever you want, whatever you want. Most of us say, whatever you want, accept. We're like a lawyer. We've got all the the details at the bottom. Don't let any of this happen, but whatever you want, it's okay. No, whatever you want, God, your will be done. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, whatever you desire, that's walking in faith. And if we're going to know God's vocational will for us, we've got to be willing to take those faith steps and continue to take them along with him. How do facts play in? How do facts play into knowing what God desires? We had a, a, a great president, Ronald Reagan. He had a couple of quotes. Uh, Ronald Reagan's quotes are not in the Bible. This is a human, all right? But one of his quotes that you're really familiar with is, um, is the quote, trust but verify. It was kind of that idea, I'm going to trust you, but I'm going to check out the facts. I like this quote better. I think this is, a, this is an amazing quote, and it helps us in the process of decision-making. Don't be afraid to see what you see. Don't be afraid to see what you see. I am blown away at the number of times I'm talking to somebody about a decision, and that decision has got some really major problems. There are some major issues. There's just some, some bad junk. And the person kind of going, yeah, well, no problem, okay. And they're, they're, they're ignoring what they see. They're ignoring it completely. This often happens when it comes to choosing a spouse. Everybody else sees the flaws and you're not seeing them. You're like, it'll be fine. It'll all work out just fine. And everybody else is like, warning, red flags, putting barriers in front of you, everybody, everything else. And you're like, no, it'll work out. I, I promise it'll, we're not willing, we're not willing to see what we see. We're not willing to just take the time and look and say, there's the reality of the situation. If you're going to truly know what the will of God is, God isn't saying, we're, not, we're just going to pretend that there's no problems. He's saying, I want you to make the decision eyes wide open. I want you to see it for what it is and know what you're walking into. Acts chapter 20. I love this passage from Paul. He's toward the end of his life says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, what do we just say? Here, he's walking in the will of God, right? I don't really know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He knows what he'd love to have been in Jerusalem. Great evangelistic campaign. The whole place comes and knows Jesus. He knows what he wants. He says, I don't know what's going to happen. I only know this, that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Bummer. Right? I mean, I, this, this is the only thing I know. I'm going to do the will of God, and I'm going to end up in prison for it. I'm going to do the will of God, and I'm probably going to get beaten in the head. I'm going to do the will of God, and this is what's coming. He, he didn't blindly, he didn't pretend, well, if I'm doing the will of God, there will never be any problems. You know, we don't pretend. If we're doing the will of God this week, it won't rain. It'll only be sunshine and butterflies. Everything will be wonderful and beautiful. It's amazing how somehow we think that if we're doing the will of God, there will be no problems. 
But God is trying to grow something beautiful in us. And he wants us to open our eyes and see the facts for what they are. Don't ignore the reality of the situation. Walk into it knowing full well what the situation is. Philippians, or 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, put everything to the test. And say, if it looks kind of bad, don't, don't look at it too closely. Cross your eyes. If you cross your eyes, it won't look as bad. No, he doesn't say that. He says, accept what is good and have and don't have anything to do with what is evil. Know what you're getting into. So you need faith. And you need to accept the facts and walk into the facts. How do feelings play into all of this? Feelings. At the beginning of the um, online series, I I showed you a gift that I got when I was a brand new baby infant. Uh, I was the first grandson. There were a couple of granddaughters before me, but I was the first... That's not me, is it? Harry Potter's talking to me. Be gone, Satan. Anyway, um, <clears throat> yikes. Okay, feelings. When I was this baby, my, my grandma bought me a, a monster box, and it was, it was a train set from Sears that now, thanks to my age, is an antique. And it, it had a great old uh, model of a coal, uh, a steam engine and a coal car and there were oil tankers and, and box cars and cars that carry cars and all this fun stuff and there's a caboose. And there's this spiritual teaching out there that, that I, I think it's right when you really understand it for what it is, but I think it's been, I think it's been distorted through the years. People said when, when you're walking a walk of faith, the, the engine, the engine is, that's the facts of the faith. That's, that's all the theological facts of the faith. That's, that's the engine of our faith, all right? The coal car, the coal car is our faith. So we have faith in the facts. We're putting faith in the facts. And that's what fuels the train. That's what, that's what makes the train go and operate. And then this was a particularly short train, but the third car is the caboose. And their point is, if you decouple the caboose, the engine and the coal car can still go places. You don't really need the engine in order to power or the caboose in order to power anything. It's just along for the ride. It's nice. And, and what they said is faith matter, facts matter, and the faith that we put into the facts matter, but our feelings are irrelevant. Our feelings are utterly irrelevant. I don't completely agree with that. I don't completely agree with it because we are created in the image of God, the image and likeness of God. And part of the image and likeness of God is that God is an emotional being. God created us with emotions because he has emotions. Emotions didn't appear shortly after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, all right? It's not like all of a sudden, whoa, where did anger come from? God is angry. Give you that to think about for the week. God is jealous. Bible says that. He just, he experiences emotions with absolute purity. And ours are now tainted by post-apple syndrome. We've got got sin involved that messes up, messes with our emotions sometimes. Emotions, I really believe, help us sometimes in the process of making a decision. How does it work? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding, it's beyond what I can comprehend, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does he say? He's saying sometimes you will be in a situation that is so bleak, so ugly, so frustrating, so nasty, so bad, that you should be melting down. And you're walking along, and, and you're doing just fine. In fact, other people are like, what's going on? If I were you, I'd be a mess. And if we were to put it in biblical terms, we'd say, I have a peace that passes understanding. I don't get why I feel peaceful right now, but I do. The peace I have is beyond the circumstances that I'm experiencing. There are times that I believe in the process of making a decision. God will, even though the circumstances, even though we're, we're looking at the facts and we're going, I don't know about this or whatever, God will give us this sense. He'll give us this sense, this emotional sense that, you know what? This is the right thing to do. Sometimes everything will seem like it's falling in place perfectly, and there will be a gnawing in our gut that says, I don't know why, but this just does not feel right. The thing about the feelings that we do understand, have to understand, and this is where the caboose piece comes in, God designed your emotions to be gauges, not guides. Our emotions help us to see another layer, but they're not everything. The caboose can't drive the train. You put the caboose at the front and say, pull us somewhere, the caboose sits. But the caboose is part of the train. We need it. It's a gauge. It helps us to see something. So we take the time to read our emotional state. It says they're meant to report to you, but not to dictate to you. So again, there are times that you're looking at the facts, you're praying, you're walking in faith, and you're going, I don't know about this, but there's this, there's this true sense of peace within you that you're going, I really believe this is what God wants us to do. I can sense it. Or it all looks perfect. You're like, but I'm really, I have a sense that this is not what God wants us to do. When do these things come in conflict? When the facts say one thing and the feelings say something else. I've had this conversation more than once as a pastor in my years of ministry. Sitting with a person talking to them who said, I really believe that, that, that I'm supposed to leave my spouse and go be with this other person with whom I'm already in a relationship. And relationship, I mean sexual relationship, uh, a.k.a. adultery, okay? I believe I'm supposed to do that. And I have tremendous peace about it. Now, what you have is a seared conscience. You've done wrong so many times that you don't feel the pain anymore. There's a big difference between a seared conscience and peace. And that's where, that's where we have to be careful. Our, our feelings, our emotions aren't the guides, but they are gauges. They help us to get a sense of maybe God's pushing me in this direction or in this direction. Again, going back to the Acts 20 passage, it says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I think a lot of times the compulsion of the Spirit, the promptings of the Spirit come across to us as feelings. We, we don't know how else to describe it, but it comes across as a feeling. It doesn't come across as a knowing. It comes across as a knowing. There's something inside that you're just going, I don't know why, but I really believe this is what God wants us to do. So your feelings are an important piece of the decision-making process. And then finally comes friends. We need people in our lives that help us make good spiritual decisions. 
Now, we don't need everybody in on it. You know, this morning, you have a spiritual decision you need to make, and, and you start a poll. What do you think? 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 What? Oh, 75 to 35. Okay, I'm supposed to do it. It's, it's not about polling, okay? It's not polling every Christian you ever met. That's not what we're talking about. I would also say there are some people you should never ask their opinion. You know you just you you should never you should never lean into them. They they make a disastrous decision every time they make a decision. I mean it doesn't matter. They they have no discernment. It's clear that they have no discernment and you're going to them and asking for spiritual advice? No. Let them grow them up. Throw the fish back. Don't do that. So what do you do? You need a handful of people in your life as we say that you do life with to, together. People who you're able to say, here's what's going on. What do you think? You know, the, the, the movement of the Quakers, they actually had something they call a discernment committee. They'd get together with a group of friends, and if they had a major decision to make, they would lay it out before their friends, and the others would just, they would give their impressions. It wasn't a vote, 5-4, this is what you're going to do, but it was spiritual friends gathering together and saying, these are, these are the impressions I'm getting from what you're saying, because here's what happens. When I bring a decision to spiritual friends, they're able to say, you know what I'm sensing? This isn't as much about faith as it is about you, you fulfilling your own agenda. That good friend would say that if that was true. Or they'll say, yeah, you say you're having a feeling that God's prompting you to do this, but here's a fact that overrules that particular feeling. Or there are a few facts here that you are just glossing over. You're not willing to see the big picture. We need some spiritual friends that will make a hard call. And likewise, we need some spiritual friends that will say, yeah, you know what, it sounds crazy. I think it's exactly what God wants you to do. I, I, I really, I'm with you in it. I get it. We need some people like that in our lives. Paul had that. The Apostle Paul had that. Acts chapter 15. This may seem like a, a weird passage to use for this, but I'm telling you, it really works well. Paul and Barnabas, they've gone to these places. They planted churches, and now they want to go back and visit the new believers in those places. It says, Barnabas agreed, hey, let's go, and let's take John Mark with us. It says, Paul disagreed strongly. It doesn't just say he disagreed. He disagreed strongly. Why did he disagree? John Mark had deserted them, deserted them in Pamphylia, and, and he just did not want him along on this trip at all. Now, I think that sometimes we look at passages like this in 21st century mindset, and we're like, well, that was pretty cold of Paul. What did Paul just get done saying in Acts chapter 20? The Spirit tells me everywhere I go, I'm going to be in prison and probably beaten. He wants to make sure he's taking along people who have the kind of courage to face up to that. I mean, I, I, would, be, I would not be very quick to judge the Apostle Paul in this situation. When's the last time you were beaten for Jesus? When's the last time you were in prison for Jesus? He wants to make sure he's taking along people with boldness and character. Barnabas. Barnabas' name literally means son of encouragement. Barnabas has never seen a human in which he does not see potential. I mean, he just, he is lollipops and sunshine. Everybody, everybody's got potential. Everybody could be the best in the world. Oh, they could be so amazing. And Paul's like, not so much. No, no. Here's what I love about what happens in the relationship of Paul and Barnabas in this discernment moment. They both have different personalities, and they both need each other in order to make a good decision. They both need each other in order to make a good decision. One of the people in my life that helps me make good decisions is John Beaker. You know why? Because John is nothing like me, and I am nothing like John. 
And there are times that, that I need to make a decision, and I throw it out to John because I know there's this part of me over here that never, ever, ever developed. It is, it is morphed and withered and dead. And that's John over here. He's got all that, right? And so I'll throw something out, and he'll start talking. I'm like, I never thought of it that way. Because that part of my brain don't exist. And I won't speak for John, but I suspect there's a part or two of me that doesn't exist in him as well. But when the two come together, I can't tell you, I don't know that there have been any times that John and I have said, like Paul and Barnabas, agree to disagree, we're going our separate ways. It is amazing how God uses the difference in personality in order to see. We, we both end up at the same place, but boy, the roads we take to get there. And it, and it ends up ultimately being very affirming when you're able to talk to somebody who's not wired just like you, but it brings you to a place of saying, yeah, I believe that that truly is what God wants. You see, for most of us, you know who we surround ourselves with? Photocopies of ourselves. It's amazing we keep making the same dumb decision because we have the same dumb people around us that look just like us. Instead of saying, maybe, just maybe, I should include a few people in my group that don't look anything like me so that I can hear a different voice instead of just packing the court with a bunch of affirming voices. I need some other voices. I need to hear this differently. Paul and Barnabas both heard it differently. It is not that Paul was not encouraging. He went and chose Timothy, right? I mean, he was willing to bring people in, but Barnabas saw it totally differently. We need this in our lives. We need people who will challenge us, who will press us, who will see it a different way, and will help us ultimately to make a great decision. That's not to say we're, we're committing our decisions out. You make the decision for me. I'll do whatever you want. We're still, we're gleaning from their wisdom. This is why God has given us the body of believers. And by the way, if you've read the rest of the passage as I've been talking, what you realize is they don't end all happy, right? Paul says, I'm going with Silas. Barnabas says, I'm taking John Mark. And they split. But you know what's beautiful? At the end of Paul's life, one of the last things he says is, I'm in prison. I'm going to die. Would you bring John Mark? He could be so helpful to me. I think he realized that Barnabas knew what he was talking about way, way back there. And there was some growth that took place in the Apostle Paul, and it can take place in all of us. We need other people in our lives that help us to make decisions, especially some of the major decisions in our lives. Too many of us make our decisions in isolation. And you know why we do it? Because we don't want input. We know what we want to do. We know our agenda. We know our desire. And we don't want anybody else mucking this thing up. We want to make sure that we can pull off what we want to do. We'll pronounce the decision when we've made it. The poof of smoke will come from the chimney, but we're not going to get anybody else involved. And it's possible that we're not getting anybody else involved because we know what happens to people like Paul and Barnabas, that sometimes when you present it, there's disagreement, and we don't want to risk the friendship. We don't want to take the chance that it might do something to the friendship. But guess what? In the process, we're not as good as we could have been. It's worth the risk. The bottom line is, you know, we, we love this phrase. It's, it's grown up in Christian circles over the last 20 years. We need to do life together. And yet too many of us, when it comes to decisions, we do them in isolation, but we claim to be doing life together. We are not. We're attending church together. We're listening to a sermon together. We're, we're singing some songs together. And we're walking out the door and living life on our own. It is not what God intended for us. He intended that we do life together even in decision-making. 
And so, God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and discernment to make faith-filled decisions, to know that we're, we're accomplishing your agenda. We're not just doing our own thing. Please, God, help us to see the facts and all the facts, not just the parts we want to see. Open our eyes and give us the courage to see it for what it really is. Help us to recognize the moments of prompting from the Spirit or the moments where, where a feeling of, of just consolation is an, aff an affirmation or, or a sense of desolation is your way of saying, don't even go there. And Lord, I pray that you'd start growing something in our friendships that we would be willing to bring other people into our circle when we're about to make these difficult decisions. Lord God, I pray, help us to decide well. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're about ready to do some singing. And uh, it's a fun, fun team to have together today. We got some of our students uh, joining in and singing with us. We're, we don't do singing out on the lawn, so, so you better get a good dose today, okay? And get, get, get into this. Uh, we do, remind me again, it would be on the church, on the church Spotify, right? Church Spotify account. We've got all the Quest songs listed in a playlist on that, so we'll make sure that gets out to you this week because, I, boy, I tell you what, they're, they're fun songs. And one of them, uh, it was so fun yesterday, so... Kids, you know, when, when all this camp stuff is pulling together, um, kids are here, and, and some of them, I mean, they put in hours just kind of waiting for their mom or dad, and, and they're so patient about it. And uh, Lila was here yesterday, Lila Wojewoda, and, and it was raining buckets. I mean, it was coming down four inches at a time. And she says to Shelly, let's go play in the rain. Oh, <laughs> Shelly said, let's go play in the rain. And, and so wide-eyed, let's go. And, and they both ran out, and they got utterly drenched. And in the process, Shelly makes, Shelly makes this little video of Lila along to one of the songs. And I'm telling you what, that thing, that thing I don't know if MTV does it anymore, but it should be, it should be a, it's a music video, man. It's amazing. So these songs will just bring that, that great smile to your face. Listen to them and, and get to know them. Sometimes the determining... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sometimes the determining of our next step uh, is found in looking at our past steps. So if you're fairly new to the church, you've been coming only a month or only a few months, you may think that we do nothing but Quest and Green Lake. Quest, Green Lake, Green Lake, Quest, you hear them all the time. And you may wonder what the obsession is, and you may wonder what's going to happen come July 1st, because this is kind of, it's part of us. Well, let me, let me just say that um, for me, I know that when I'm at Green Lake, I'm exactly where God wants me. And I know this coming week, I'm going to be exactly where God wants me. When I was, um, when I was a student, I was going through some of the bleakest years of my life. They were hard. I had a friend die. And most days, I didn't want to be alive. And I went away to camp for three summers, not to be a camper, but to work at camp. And um, 
really convinced to this very day that if it weren't for those three summers away, there probably would have been a point that I had taken just enough medication to know that I wasn't going to be here anymore. You know, nobody in my real life really knew that was going on. And when I'm at Green Lake, I look at the kids, and I don't just look at the smiles. I know there's some hurts there. And I'm hopeful and prayerful that during that time, we get the chance to connect in a way that we would not connect otherwise. There's a little guy, seven years old. My family had left a church that they had been a part of and my family had been part of for generations. We started going to this new church and they had this thing called Vacation Bible School. And I went, seven years old. It was, it was great. They're telling Bible stories, they're singing songs. I got the joy, 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 oh, the whole works, all right? And this missionary came from the Amazon and he had this 21-foot-long snake skin and he'd wrap us up in it and talk about the way that it would squeeze people. That was crazy. And all of this was going on and I remember so distinctly in all the conversation that week hearing about Jesus and hearing about, um, you know, the fact that he forgave sins. And by that point at seven, I already had a healthy case of Catholic guilt. I was well-developed. And... Um, and I just, I knew I was bad, and I knew I was wrong. And it was during that week that I started to realize God wanted to forgive me. And it was a couple months later that I asked for Jesus' forgiveness. And he's been part of my life, and I've been part of his ever since. You see, I believe that a seven-year-old can come to know Jesus. And what better place in the world is there to be than in the birthing room when a seven-year-old comes to know Jesus? So if we seem obsessed... We are. And I hope you catch the obsession. I really do. I hope that you'll be praying this week because the enemy of our souls hates us. He hates seven-year-olds who want to come to know Jesus. And he'll do everything he can to get in the way of them hearing the truth. And so please pray. Pray a lot. A spiritual battle is going to be raging in this place. And we need to bring kids safely home to God. And that's going to happen some this week. So, Lord in heaven, we pray for your power and your spirit to be at work in this place in a, in a bold and unusual way. Hold back the work of the enemy. Open the minds and hearts of a generation of kids that need Jesus and that need to transform this world for Jesus. We join you in what you're doing. We join you in your agenda, and we give you all glory. Amen. So if you've not yet participated in, in preparation for Quest, you now get your golden opportunity. Those two big doors over there have chair racks, and we're going to open those, and we're going to remove some chairs from the room. This is like the good old days pre-gym. We're leaving the front row because we never want to get rid of the front row. It's our favorite row leaving the front row, we're leaving the sides. Everything from there bad is back is going to go on a rack. So we'll get a little light on the subject, and if you can stick around and help, stack some chairs for us and enjoy your week.